Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Fancast for you as the Canucks fall yet again to Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. Drancer, uh, we got a lot to get to. I mean, the game, sure, yep. there were some storylines there, but obviously the big news of the last 24 hours is Abbotsford. And we've mentioned this before Abbotsford is near and dear to the Vancast heart. It and is. Actually, that's not totally true. Abbotsford is near and dear to the Nuxcast heart. Right? Wow, true. Yeah. Well, the, I don't think either way, either way, we hadn't <laughs> launched yet. No, I know it was. And the name, and the name, like I, I do want, I do want our listeners to know this. The name never mattered to us. <laughs> like we, I, I, I remember, remember, I sent you a list of like eighteen names, yep. and you were like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. <laughs> yeah, um, I like spent so much time on them, and then do you remember? I really wanted it to be like to front, be front and center, like. J-Pat and Drancer do uh and then podcast name that was like the thing I really wanted right and then when we agreed to do Nuxcast or something that was like a little more uh simple um we put with Drancer and J-Pat on the back end and I don't know if anyone has noticed this but just like for some context for you like I'm really stubborn about still tweeting that out when I tweet the podcast um I think this is something that I care about and you don't but that's so it goes so yeah, I mean the quick the, no, the, 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 no the, the quick backstory is that that Canucks Ottawa preseason game in Abbotsford. You and I went out uh, independently. We didn't travel out there together, but cover the morning skate, and then rather than returning home uh, and then going back for game time, we set up shop at the Browns in Abbotsford right across the highway and had <laughs> yeah. a five hour working lunch. I think we each did a couple of radio <laughs> hits during that time. But we buttoned down on the details of the podcast in the booth at Brown's there that afternoon. 
So yeah, we did. We spent a lot of time at that Browns and hopefully we'll be able to do that again. Right. Like hopefully we'll be out there for an AHL morning skate, you know, and um, like I honestly will look forward to it. Um, maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll bring the, bring our podcast gear. Um, but, uh, you know what? There's, first of all, there's a lot of significance to that day in particular. Like the Canucks toured that facility and I think it was widely noted by senior management that, you know, having not really been there with the whole team and the whole staff and everybody the you know, in eight years, really, um, that it was still ready to go as an AHL building, right? Like you can't go to that building and not come away from it thinking, wow, this is like a top tier AHL facility today and probably will be for another 10 years without renovation. You know, I I mean, you, you go up and down other sort of possible markets for your AHL franchise in the West. And it's like the Abbotsford center is still going to be one of the top, three or four you find it's also close it's also not going to require renovation for another 15 years probably uh in the context of what an ahl team requires like you know relative to a building like the pacific coliseum where you would have had to renovate like the jumbotron and you know the locker rooms and on and on um this was this is ready to go this was ready um, that's a huge get for the Canucks. Like even when they first moved to Utica, the odd required like a hugely complicated, uh, publicly financed renovation project to, to get to a point where it's still not, you know, a, a scene in AHL sort of circles is like a high end sort of, uh, you know, facility from a player's perspective. It's definitely a, a top 10 place to play, maybe a top five place to play in terms of environment, but Anyway, so this made a ton of sense, and this always made a ton of sense, particularly because the city of Abbotsford's continued to lose a ton of money. Like, there's this horrifying graphic if you go look over Abbotsford City reports, and it says, like, the proportion of the city's budget that goes to various things. And the Abbotsford's, like, deficit, the Abbotsford Center deficit for the city of Abbotsford has been getting more manageable since the supply fee agreement that they had with the Abbotsford Heat and the Calgary Flames sort of expired uh, about six years ago now. Um, but still, it's like, you know, 6% fire and rescue, like 5% Abbotsford Center, like 2% libraries. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like the, the city needed an anchor tenant. Abbotsford needed an anchor tenant desperately. And to land the Canucks AHL affiliate, I think everyone believes that'll work, even though the AHL experiment with the Abbotsford Heat was an unmitigated money hole disaster for all involved. No, except have, the Calgary Flames. Yeah. You've written an accompanying article. It's up. It's at The Athletic, so people can check that out. Uh, you talked to Robert Esch, and man, like I-, I thought really interesting quotes at the back end of your piece, Tom, where he gave really high praise to Chris Gear and Ryan Johnson. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Chris Gear is an assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Still doesn't have a massive uh, front-facing public profile. I think the VIPs know the name, certainly involved in a lot of contract work for the Vancouver Canucks, smart guy, lawyer, all of that stuff. Um, But, you know, when you think of a farm team and a parent team agreement – I, I was, I guess I was a little surprised. Like there were some names that seemed to be missing when Robert Esch went directly to Chris Gear and to Ryan Johnson. Well, I think the thing about Gear to keep in mind is that, you know, he's been with the Canucks. Like he's, he's relatively new to 
the public consciousness of hockey fans because he's been with the Canucks for a long time as the VP legal, right? That title he still holds, by the way. Uh, So he was like central to the relocation effort back when they acquired the Peoria franchise in 2013, right? So he was super familiar with Ash um, back in 2013. Now, in in talking to Ash last night, I, I also invited him onto the VanCast, and I think we'll do that at some point in the next couple of weeks, which I think would be awesome because his perspective sure. on some, you know, super minutia Canucks topics, I, I think would be fascinating. Plus, you know, he's a he's a character like he is a character. And, and one thing to note, too, is when the Canucks parked in Utica, it was a huge gamble. Like this was a guy realizing a dream. He'd, you know, campaigned hard on social media and a variety of sort of like, um, you know, uh, pla- like like sort of uh, in like dreamer platforms to bring AHL hockey back to Utica, right? Like it was just this this civic dream that he had. We'll renovate the odd. We'll, you know, and then he managed to get the financing done. He, he managed to get a huge public works project done. And then he made the economics work to the point that everyone in the American League sort of area says, you know, knows that the Utica hockey market works for American League hockey, right? The Utica will have a team again. It might be an ECHL team. It might be an AHL team. Who knows? But they'll have a team again. And a big part of the reason is that that Mohawk Valley group is seen as a, you know, top notch, reliable operator. Uh, That's a huge credit to Ash. Like he's become a community and business leader um, over the last eight years. Uh, And it's a major reason why this arrangement lasted so long, even though, you know, almost from the outset, um, Ash's group sort of understood that the Canucks would eventually move west. Uh, I mean, interesting timing for this announcement by the Canucks 90 minutes before faceoff, half an hour after Travis Green had confirmed that Jack Rathbone was going to make his NHL debut. Like they were getting a little bit of buzz off, you know, the debut of Jay Bone and whether it was done as sort of a smokescreen to deflect from, you know, what was going to happen on the ice. Also, the fact that they put out an announcement you know, for the intention to move this team, it needs the rubber stamp of the AHL, which it's expected to get. But, you know, you don't see organizations generally putting out press releases. Like, they didn't put out a press release that they were intending to sign Thatcher Demko or intending to sign Tanner Pearson. Like, it, it just the whole way that it went down seemed a little bit strange to me. I mean, they're going to get there. It, it, I think it we didn't all, to me. It, it didn't? didn't to me. No, okay. and here's here's why. So, um. I've been I've been sniffing around this for a while, right? Like Esh has not returned a lot of my phone calls until last night. <laughs> um, I've been asking Canucks sources and they've been like, oh, no, you know, I really can't. I really don't want to talk about that. I really can't talk about that. Um, I, I left a message for uh, Henry Braun, the mayor of Abbotsford last week. I definitely talked to the AGM of the Abbotsford Center. Like I've been sniffing around here. I, I even was calling some of the people involved in the 2013 lo- uh, relocation like uh ex Fraser Valley sports and entertainment execs, just trying to see which way the winds were blowing. And honestly, I'd even called people with various like business interests, like connected to some of the building operators or the building sort of big building conglomerates, uh, AEG and, and Oakview trying to get a sense of, you know, what markets were being whispered about in the United States and like cone of silence, absolute cone of silence on this. So then the AHL, Dis- distributed to um, you know board of governors and alternate governors the agenda for the meeting on Thursday this week, 
And so I start making calls to all my AHL contacts and I'm like, what does it say about the Canucks? Like, I know that they submitted a brief for relocation. They have to have. What what does it say? And what it said, J-Pat, was it was hidden. It was close. Like, it was hidden in that the Canucks essentially framed it as uh, a bid to relocate to one of the pre-approved jurisdictions in the West. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I was just like, damn it. Um, so, you know, to me, the. To me, there's just a when I when I see something that's like relatively closely guarded, um, when I see something that's being deliberately hidden, and then when I see the team make a sort of conditional announcement, like my understanding is there's a conditional framework. One of the conditions is that the AHL Board of Governors has to approve it. You it, that's essentially a formality, but you can't come out and be like we're relocating to Utica before the AHL Board of Governors meetings. And if you wait until Thursday, like. You know, I'm blowing up every AHL connected board of governor I know, right? Like, and I'm probably not the only one sniffing to get this before the Canucks do, right? Like, if you want to control your message, you kind of have to be a little bit proactive with it. I suppose, but but still, ninety minutes ninety minutes before faceoff was on. Like, do it mid afternoon at that point. If it, I don't imagine really anything had changed between mid afternoon and ninety minutes before game time. Whatever. I mean, the news is out there. It was going to get out there. Uh, I was just the, the timing of it seemed a little bit strange to me. Yeah, I'm. I guess I. I don't know. I didn't. I. I to me, that didn't set off my BS detectors personally. Um. Just because I thought it made sense that the Canucks wanted to be the first to announce it, wanted to get an Aquilini quote into the thing, wanted to uh, control this this story as opposed to it being, you know, first broken by, you know, someone like Dolly Wall. And so, um, you know, I'm not I'm not shocked by the timing of it. I don't read a ton into it personally. That's just my view. Um, I, you know, th- there's no for me anyway, there's no sort of smackings of uh, cynicism in the timing of the announcement. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you know anything about the arrangement? Because we see this with other NHL, AHL teams. Like, they're going to set up in Abbotsford, which we all know is uh, an hour-ish, depending on traffic, uh, down the highway. But do you think that, like, with them being that close, is there any opportunity to play a few games a year at Rogers Arena? Like, do you think they would bring the team downtown and give the players the big league experience? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. And I'll be curious to see, too, what the Canucks do in terms of, you know, a preseason slate with, like, the Seattle Kraken coming in, right? Like, won't it make a ton of sense, for example, to do, like, a game in Everett, you know, and a game in Abbotsford, right? Or, like, a game in Prince George and a game in Tacoma? Like, doesn't that make sense? For both sides to sort of use each other as a as as a brand extension in in both of your various municipalities and sort of play up that I five thing like a lot of teams that are close geographically do stuff like that. I bet we're going to see stuff like that. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see the inverse too, JPAT. Like maybe we'll see. I mean, the Canucks could now potentially, for example, create like a relatively unique product, right, where you have like a Saturday doubleheader. 
You know, you can yep. market a Saturday doubleheader, um, and and you know maybe it's even a, a like a four p.m. start for the Canucks and like a nooner. You know what I mean? And it's like targeted to families and you you could discount prices to the first game or you could buy a package or I mean, the the business spillover opportunities for the Canucks as an extension of their brand here are th- are endless, literally endless. And so, you know, I'm really curious to see what that looks like. But yeah, do I think that there's an opportunity to see that? Yes. And I also think there's an opportunity for the Canucks to go back and play additional preseason games in Abbey. Right. And we know the benefits when the two teams are playing home games and they're in the same vicinity, then it makes it easy to bring players in and out. There will still be challenges when either of these teams is on the road. That's life. But I mean, it just makes so much sense uh, on the hockey ops side, but it makes sense on the branding and the marketing side as well. And there's a ton of opportunities there. I saw in the press release that they said it will have a a new name. So I, I tweeted that out last night and I basically asked for suggestions, which I quickly regretted because it's Canucks Twitter, right? <laughs> I and know, I know. Like, there were some good ones, but people just can't help themselves. Like, now was not the time to be drawing links between Jake Furtanen and the Vancouver Canucks and everything else. Oh, like, awful. But I got a lot of those. Uh, but I have to point out, and I should have jotted down the, the Twitter handle or the guy's name. I, I just, I liked the fact. It actually made me laugh uh, when he said the team has to be referred to as Les Habitants. I, I thought that one was pretty creative. I don't think it's going to work Sorry, necessarily. Sorry, the witch? Les Habitants. Like, Le- oh, I like that. Abby taunts. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think of Abbotsford. I think uh, throughout my childhood, we would always drive uh, out to the a- the air show. So, like, there's a strong history with aviation. And I saw a lot of, you know, the, the Abbotsford aviators or the I think Arrows was one that you jumped in on. Um, you know, the, the pilots. You, is, you, you need to have you need to have an aviation link. I think that's important. Well, and like there's a, you know, the, the Abbotsford there's pilots a were, of it. yeah, the pilots the f- were a junior B team for a long, a lot of years. They've yeah, got that. And the Flyers. And they've got, and the- there was the Abbotsford Flyers, right? right? Like yeah, you have to got- have an, you have to have an aviation connect unless you go with like a wider, like unless you're the Fraser Valley somethings right, to which, expand your market. And that's a possibility. I mean, you could use the F and the V, you got the V right there. Like there are some branding possibilities that, you know, you could play. So I'll be curious. I, I, I'm not going to get too worked up about the name. Uh, they, they're going to have, they're, they're going to have to be Abbotsford. I think considering the fact that it's a, you know, uh, a, a facility with such close ties to the city and considering that I'm sure the city will be in some way su- subsidizing uh, the Canucks and probably, you know, it'll, it'll probably be a fair deal for them. So long as the building is full, like, I think you'll have to go Abbotsford. And let's not understate the risk here from, you know, like the Abbotsford market is seen by veteran American League hockey business people as soft based on the Abbotsford heat experience. And like those buildings, I mean, you went and covered some of those games, right, J-Pat, like in the Chicago Wolves era, like it was grim, right? Like attendance was brutal, except when the Wolves came through. Right. And so I didn't, honestly, I did not see another game other than when the Wolves were here. So my experience is a little bit jaded just because... The building was fairly full that night, but I totally understand. Yeah. And and I, it, look, to me, it never made sense, Tom. It just never made sense to bring your chief rivals, American Hockey League affiliate, into your backyard and somehow think that people were going to gravitate just because there was a hockey team there. Like it just, the, you know, the, the stakes are in the ground, the Canucks and the Flames. Like it, it, it was bound to fail right from the outset. So like if people hold those notions... I think they have to be prepared to move off those stances pretty quickly because this is a completely, completely different scenario. 
it is a completely different scenario, but nonetheless, there's something to be said for, you know, like 7,000 is a pretty big AHL building. Like, are you going to be able to fill that every night? What does the business interests look like? Ian McIntyre reported on the Sportsnet broadcast that the club had already received some deposits. That's a good sign. Um, you know, and then of course coming out of COVID too, right? Like what, I mean, what does the arena experience even look like? So, you know, there, there are still some risks here from a Canucks perspective, but it's worth noting the Fraser Valley has grown a lot in the eight intervening eight years while the Canucks have been in Utica, right? Like Abbotsford's 15% bigger. Uh, Maple Ridge has grown a commensurate uh, amount, um, you know, Langley on and on, right? Like there's a lot of development going on there. So that's sort of. You know, the Canucks will hope pose, um, you know, a, a, a positive indicator anyway for the success of the AHL franchise. One last brand synergy to get to, by the way, is you can sort of trial looks and jerseys and different things, too. Um, and, you know, this is something the Canucks are pretty good at. Like one advantage to having had so many, you know, different jerseys in your history is that you've got a lot of material. You got a lot of material to draw from that links the Canucks, you know, visually to a, a, an Abbotsford team and the V and the A, um, you know, I think is a, a particularly durable uh, opportunity. I, I'm going to be fascinated to see what branding opportunities the Canucks can come up with out of this. But, you know, if done right and if this is successful, this should be like, you know, a, a license to print money, not not to mention the fact that presumably, well, not even presumably for sure. You're going to see a ton of interesting jobs for hockey people in our community come about out of this from the broadcast side to equipment guys to, you know, social and PR folks to additional uh, team services employees. Um, You know, this if you're if you have an interest in hockey in the Vancouver market or in our community more generally, um, you know, this this is something that's a win win for all involved. Well, I mean, this one seems obvious to me. I mean, the, the very first brand opportunity that this new franchise should go for, you know, they've got to get ads on the ice and there's that spot in the trapezoid that we see in both Ottawa and Montreal. Manscaped would make perfect sense, would it not? It would. It would. I thought, uh, absolutely. Uh, especially on the farm. <laughs> yes. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so that was the big news of the last 24 hours or so. There was a game played. I know the the results don't matter at this stage anymore. I do want to get your thoughts, though, on a couple of things out of the game. But first, we have to thank Katie Strang. She joined us on our Tuesday podcast. It was a special episode. It was a little different for us. It was stepping outside our comfort zones, sort of trying to unpack the Jake Furtanen allegations, the reasons the team has placed him on leave. And we brought Katie Strang, uh, who has made a career of incredible, you know, investigative journalism. And it was great to get a a female perspective as well uh, on the story. So if you haven't had a chance, it was a game day. uh, Maybe you saw it, but you haven't had a chance. Put it aside. But I I think it's really important, Tom, that people go back and and listen to that. And we got a lot of really good feedback on it that uh, I think it sort of opened the eyes uh, to a lot of the listeners just in things that they hadn't thought about uh, you know, around a very sensitive story. Yeah. No, I, and I appreciate all the 
feedback that I, I've received anyway in the past 24 hours, not just from, uh, you know, our listeners, but also from various survivors, various survivors groups uh, to anyone who's reached out to me with that message. You know, I mean, I've responded to everyone and thanked them for sharing that detail with me and, and also for their kind words. But, you know, I, I think we went about that the right way. I don't think we could have gone about it the right way, J-Pat, and, uh, you know, between us, like without Katie, right? Like we really needed. Yeah, absolutely. An expert, an expert in that specific area to join us. Um, you know, Katie's done a lot of work on this. She's done it better than anyone. And, you know, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I was heartened to see the response and I think, you know, I think we did that the right way. I'm, I'm proud of us for, you know, that, that mature approach. And, um, you know, I, I think the podcast accomplished a lot in terms of hopefully educating our listeners, educating ourselves, frankly, and, you know, also extending, you know, the seriousness to which this issue and, and these allegations deserve while also extending the presumption of innocence, um, you know, as well. So um, I, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how that came out. And, uh, and Katie, of course, I thank her for her time and her knowledge uh, and being willing to share it with our listeners. Yeah. And the other thing that I think we were both really happy about too, was Monday night was Botchard Project Night at Rogers oh, Arena. Not just Monday night, it was all day. And the opportunity to meet Arash, Clarissa, and Lachlan and get to work with them. And uh Kat Botchford got it right. I mean, she picked three incredible candidates. Uh they yep. embraced the spirit of it. I'm really looking forward to seeing the finished product, the stories that they wrote. They were champs when and, and full credit to the Canucks PR as well for we weren't quite sure in these COVID times and Zoom and everything else how this was going to unfold. But Canucks PR went above and beyond to give they really free access to the players that they had requested. And so, you know, this is going to make their finished product that much better. So um, it was great. I mean, and, and to see Quadrelli and Faber, like the place was crawling with Botchard Project <laughs> candidates uh, on Monday night. The, uh, the new and the old. And uh, no, I just it, it was a really good night all around. And on top of everything else, they got to see a game in person, which very few people mm -hmm. have done this year. Oh, and they saw McDavid go off for four points as well. So I, I would think that that, can, you know, all things considered uh, a pretty memorable night. And I think it was. I think they've all expressed that part of it uh, in social media. Well, and I'm glad that they were able to do it together. You know, that's something that I think we maybe even consider for normal times, like watching those three become friends over the course of the day <laughs> and have fun at the rink together. I mean, that's sort of. You know, an underrated part, I think, uh, something we didn't have last year. Everyone got their own day, which I thought was cool, too. But uh, but especially with how dehumanizing the experience of covering games can be in this, you know, sort of pandemic world at the moment. Uh, I think having that human touch was important. Having that uh, ability for them to meet each other, uh, I think, worked or, or helped sort of address that. And, you know, it's something I wonder about. Considering because one thing I thought about a lot was like that was a fun day at the rink. And, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about Botchford's legacy because of his work product, because of his mentorship, because of who he was. But he was also just a lot of fun at the rink. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah. and on my drive home on, on, you know, Monday night, I was reflecting on that. I was just thinking that there was something about that spirit that that worked uh, that made sense to me when I consider, uh, you know, Botchford's legacy and what we want this project to be. So, no, it was a great day. So, really quick story, uh, because at the tail end, like, we hung around for the post-game Zooms, then we said our goodbyes, and, and you and I walked out, and we got in the elevator, 
and we were going down to the the parking garage at Rogers <laughs> Arena, and the elevator stops on like the first floor, and Alex Edler, <laughs> the doors open, and it's just you and me in the elevator, and Edler walks in. And mm-hmm. like, I think he's so used to doing this and, you know, he just, there's nobody around most of the time. Like, so he took like the step in to the elevator without even looking up. And then it was sort of too late for him. Like he was in the elevator and we were there and he wasn't going to like back out and run away. And no, like, but he, he knew who we were with our masks on. And we kind of got the acknowledgement, like guys, <laughs> we were both like, <laughs> well, I know he asked us how we were. <laughs> he's like, how? And, but it was resigned. He was like, "Hey guys, oh. how are how are you doing?" And and, <laughs> and I was like, and I was like making it through, you know, yeah. we're just making it through. And and the resigned sigh, like, "Yep." <laughs> that no, was, it was funny. Massive. It was. It, it, was, it just, was like he just wanted to get out of there. You could tell. And I don't just mean the elevator. I just mean the rink. It was another loss. Like we know that the end is near for these guys. Uh, but it was just one of those funny moments where, you know, he wasn't expecting us to be there. I wasn't expecting a player to jump on the elevator. Uh, fortunately, it was a very quick ride for him and we went our separate ways. Uh, but it was just kind of a worth a laugh after the fact. Uh, a couple of final thoughts here, uh, cause there was a game, actually there's been a couple of games since we've really drilled down here and the results don't matter. It's six straight losses. Now they're out on the road for six. So who knows where it goes from here. But Jack Rathbone did make his debut. Long-awaited, much-anticipated, a lot of talk in the market, and I thought he looked like you hoped he would look. 12 minutes and 4 seconds of ice time, didn't play much in the third, but what a welcome to the NHL moment, and he talked about it post-game, to have both McDavid and Dreisaitl bearing down on you on a two-on-one, and he handled it like a champ. Yeah, he did. He's a good player, man. He's a good player, and I think we're going to see, like, if there's one guy who should get a lot of run for me anyway over the balance here it's him because for me and he said post game that you know he he's a confident guy and he is but and he is and he showed it especially with his skills with the puck but he will benefit so much from some additional pattern recognition opportunities and just like getting his feet wet because the skills are there man like he looks like an NHL player he skates like a fast NHL player um you know, I just think he needs, I just think he needs to get acclimatized and, and he'll be ready. Like, I don't think he needs a ton of seasoning here. This is not a guy, you know, we don't need to like pull out the heavy salt. We don't need to go salt bay on this. Like he just needs a little bit more time. And I think he can contribute meaningfully and, and provide more, frankly, than any, you know, young Canucks defender other than Quinn Hughes um, next season with, without a ton of, of additional ice time. Uh, I mean, I thought that before the season, although I will say he didn't look ready to me at training camp. Um, this is not a looking back and being like, they should have had him in the lineup all along. But I, you know, I, I just see so much more there uh, with Rathbone than Ulevi personally. They both play the left side. There is going to be competition for minutes for the Canucks on that left side between those two guys, presumably. Uh, I don't think you can go Hughes, Ulevi, Rathbone down the left no. side next year. No. So. You know, uh, anyway, I I thought it was a really impressive debut. He's a really impressive player. And as we see more, as we see him get more comfortable, more assertive in that environment, like we're going to start to see some of the other attributes of his game that he showed at the college level. And one of those, I'm telling you, J-Pat, you're going to see it eventually. There's a fire in that belly. Like this guy can play with more edge. He is not just skilled puck moving D. Like there is more there in terms of that 
um, competitive edge, physical edge too. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see what he can bring. I thought it was a really solid uh, debut for the debutante. All right. And speaking of fire in the belly, I mean, we, 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 yeah, we got to talk JT Miller. We have to, we got to talk it. <laughs> what a night. Like that, that was a night for JT Miller. There've been a few this year. Uh, that was a night. There was just a lot going on. I, I, I will not hear even before Travis Green had t- spoken, right? <laughs> I sent my tweet defending JT Miller, right? Cause I'm just like, this guy plays 20 plus minutes a night. He's played, he played. Yeah, I mean, following that game, he played 86 minutes, more than 86 minutes of NHL hockey over six days, man, six days. And yeah, he's trying to do too much. Of course, he's trying to do too much. The Canucks have a bottom six that has combined to play 87 games for their team this season and has contributed four points, two goals at five on five. Like, what are you expecting from your overtaxed star players playing a condensed schedule? A guy like JT Miller playing out of position. You know, like he's not at his best. He's not at his best. And he feels like if I don't do this, if I don't do it all, we're fucked. And some nights he's right. Like, it's crazy to me that, you know, he scores that unbelievable goal to make it a one goal deficit the other day. And it's him going through single handedly like six guys. Like, if you're going to praise him for that, you have to accept that, like, part of what comes with it is going to be some, you know, ugly giveaways. One of which, by the way, was, yeah, not the best pass. But it was also an unbelievable t- turnover to be created by McDavid. Like, there's not a lot of NHL players that get that going the other way and turn that into a goal, first off. But secondly, like, yeah, this is this is going to happen, especially considering how the Canucks are built, what they're relying on for JT Miller. And finally, the fact that he's playing out of position. And like, what do centermen do, J-Pat, more than wingers? They carry the puck more. They yeah. carry the puck more. JT Miller is a little bit giveaway prone. It's his, it's the one weakness in a little bit. JT Miller can be giveaway prone. <laughs> Yeah. JT Miller can be giveaway prone. It's the one weakness in his game. So let's put him in a position where he handles the puck more is like a very popular take around Vancouver and around the Canucks organization. And it's it's wrong. Like it's straight up wrong. Keep JT Miller on the wall. Keep JT Miller on the wall. Like hashtag keep JT in the middle. This is it's it's so bleedingly obvious. And of course, whatever is bleedingly obvious must be uh, ignored in the Vancouver market and and sometimes by Canucks management and decision makers, too, um, because that's, you know, that's where we're at in terms of this team. Yeah, nine games to go. There's my uh, rant. There's my rant. No, I know. And, you know, the idea that you should bench JT Miller after those giveaways, like, and what, play Grayovac and Boyd <laughs> 10 minutes in the third while chasing the lead? Like, what are we talking about, man? More VC. Uh, yeah, well, well, VC doesn't even play center. It's more Grayovac, like more Boyd. Right, like, yeah. wh- what are we? No, why? No why? No we don't need that. We don't no need thanks. that. I'd way rather see JT Miller try incredibly to make things happen and it occasionally blowing up in his face um, than, you know, than Boyd, Horvat, than triple shifting <laughs> or than double shifting one of Grayovac or Boyd while triple shifting Horvat in the third period. Like, come on. Come on. They have no other option, by the way. Like, as, as much as I think Miller's a winger, you have no other option right now than to play him in the middle. But that doesn't you know, that doesn't mean you you have enough depth to bench him. You clearly don't. And you you wouldn't with Sutter in the lineup either. Let's be very clear here. The Canucks don't have enough options. And, you know, I JT just worry. Is, yeah, I just worry about, you know, six straight losses, nine to go. No, I don't worry about the sticks. The sticks will be okay. Or they, the budget, they've got budget the for sticks. The sticks won't. <laughs> I just, yeah. No, the sticks won't. But I nine more games of this, like, you know, I mean, clearly the frustration is 
it wasn't, yeah, I mean, part of it's the turnover and the fact it leads to goals, but I think just bigger picture, we know the JT Miller backstory with the, you know, coming out of the COVID break and all the things that he said. I mean, he's been a frustrated guy for a while now, and it'll be interesting to sort of monitor his frustration levels here uh, with these nine remaining games left well, on the that, schedule. But demonstrative or not, right? Like JT Miller is the easy person to look at that way, but trust me, there's a lot of frustration around this team right now. No doubt. Uh, if you're looking for other pod options here at The Athletic, there are many, including the full 60 with Craig Custance. Uh, Ned Coletti is a fascinating guy. He's a former Los Angeles Dodger and San Francisco uh, Giants general manager. He's currently a pro scout for the San Jose Sharks, and he spends the full 60 with Craig Custance. You can check that out at The Athletic. We always ask that you check out our comments section for each podcast episode. We mentioned that we got some really good feedback on... Uh, the episode that we did on Tuesday with Katie Strang, and I would recommend if you have a half an hour, uh, check that out at some time as well. But uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple, and if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast, receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Transfer, uh, let's make like Edler, grab an elevator, and get on out of here. Bye. All right. For Tom, this <laughs> is Jay Pat. Thanks as always. We'll be back with another edition of the VanCast on Friday here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>